This morning we're going to look further into Acts 19, uh, verses 10 through 20, and kind of looking at this idea. Three things that might stop the kingdom of God. And so, if you were sitting here today and you were kind of wondering some things that might really hinder the church or prevent the church from growing and doing what God's called to do, what, what is, maybe some of those things that you might say, what, what, what are some of those? You might say, hey, this right here might really hinder or stop the church from growing or doing what God's called it to do. What would you say? What? Unforgiveness, sorry. Yeah, amen. Sunday school this morning, if you were there with us, others. Dissension, all right, division, the church. What else? Pride. What else? Jealousy. Gossip. Lack of faith. Critical attitude. Anything else? So this morning, we're going to look, all right, and we're going to be walking through this text. We're going to look at three things um, that might actually stop the kingdom of God. It's going to be an interesting study. Uh, Tom Rayner, who's the president, CEO of Lifeway, hopefully, I don't know, it's pretty small. Um, He lists several things that make church growth difficult, right? The church growing, doing what it's called to do. He said cultural Christians are much less likely to attend. He said that another thing that's happening now is that more committed Christians are attending less frequently. An overcorrection to practical ministry. Activities replacing ministry. There's growing conflict and disunity in congregations. And there's an entitlement mentality among some church members. There's a lot of things on here that are really good. What's interesting is, is that none of those three make our list today in Ephesus. Today in Ephesus, it is messy. Alright, Ephesus um, was one of the richest cities, um, the most diverse cities... Um, there was tons and tons of people there. There was lots of commerce there. It was, it was a, um, just a, a city that was thriving, growing, lots of false worship. But what was very interesting about Ephesus is it was one of the center of the occult in that day and time. There's lots of demonic work. There's lots of, maybe you might call it black magic. However you might define that, Ephesus has a ton of that. And probably some of you are clued into that because we have a letter to the church at Ephesus. It's in Ephesians chapter 6. And it begins to talk about this, put on this spiritual armor, right? There is, you have a battle. It says you're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, principalities, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, Paul says there in Ephesians 6. He says, listen, I want you guys to know there's much at play. And so this morning we're going to look and say, wow, what might be going on in Ephesus that might actually stop God's kingdom? And kind of what I'm going to do this morning is, as I don't know how many of you have ever maybe um, watched a ball game before on DVR that you already knew the outcome. You ever watched a game before? You already knew the outcome and you watched it. Is it a lot less intense when that happens? It is, isn't it? You don't get so tore up about that bad call or what may have happened because you already know the outcome of that game, right? And you're like, well, hey, it's all right. They're, run, they're on their run right now, but I know that we're going to come back. We're going to win this or whatever's going to happen. So you're not nearly as engaged and involved. So this morning what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you to the end of this text, let you see the end, the finality of it, and then kind of DVR our way back through it. So verse 20 of Acts 19 is kind of the end, the culmination of. And so it kind of plays out my hand, but... I don't want any of you here sitting here wondering, right, um, is it really something that might stop God's kingdom? Listen to what it says. Verse 20 of Acts 19. It says, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So the answer is already, you already got the answer for today. Can anything stop God's kingdom? The answer is going to be that God's word is going to continue to increase and prevail mightily. So you already know the answer to the, the message. But what's interesting is the things that are actually going to happen that come against the church and the message of Jesus Christ growing. And these are major challenges. 
And so what I want you to see today is as you see these challenges being faced and overcome by God's word, by God's people, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to leave today saying, wow, if that can't stop God's kingdom, then surely this is going on. My life can't stop God's kingdom. That can't prevent that person from coming to Christ. If that's what was going on there and it couldn't stop Jesus name from going forward. So I want you to be encouraged. So today, the first thing we're going to look at is this. The word of God increased and prevailed despite counterfeits. And frauds. It's a real challenge. Just kind of a little bit of background on what's been going on. If you haven't been with us the last few weeks here in Acts 19, Paul shows up in Ephesus. We remember we already had discipleship taking place because there were people there that were disciples of John the Baptist. And we're reminded it's been some 20 plus years since John has died. All right, so John dies around the end of um, A.D. 27, somewhere in there, 29 A.D. This is early 50 A.D., so 20 plus years later, Paul shows up. Discipleship has been going on. These people have been waiting for the Christ. Uh, we have public expressions of faith through baptism in verse 5. So people confess Christ. They are baptized. Verse 6, the Holy Spirit comes, authenticating their faith. We have bold preaching and teaching the name of Christ by Paul in verse 8. And hear this. I don't know if you realize this or not, but evidence of an authentic gospel going first, forth is unbelief. Why? Because Jesus said, listen, narrow is the way that leads to life and few there are that are on it. So listen, if you look around and see a place where everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid, be warned. Be warned. There's unbelief when the authentic gospel goes forth. Furthermore, there's perseverance despite persecution. Paul was, remember, he finally left the synagogue there. It says that people were maligning the way in verse 9 and 10. We had his miracles that were taking place. Uh, Luke calls them extraordinary miracles in verse 11 and 12. And now the counterfeit shows up. And the counterfeit is a real challenge to the authentic gospel. The counterfeit takes place often in our lives, not simply about being some overt tactic, right? Sometimes Satan simply doesn't come in some overt tactic where you see his work and you're going to see today, you're going to see demons at work. So sometimes it's very overt. You know it. You recognize the darkness. But I believe often Satan's greatest deception is the covert. It's the one that sounds just like it and they knock on your door and they talk and use the same lingo and you're thinking, man, I think we believe and think the same thing. But the reality is they're trying to obtain salvation by human effort where we believe that Christ has secured salvation once and for all by grace through faith in Christ alone. So how do you recognize counterfeits? Well, first, don't be fooled by their credentials. And then secondly, look to their creed. So look first to their credentials, right? So Paul, verse 12, Acts 19, says, So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So remember that. Extraordinary miracles are being done. Paul, is there. they've been casting out demons. The sick are being healed. So much so that these, these maybe the sweat aprons that Paul would have worn around his head, possibly. Maybe it's his belt. We're not really sure. But they were going forth, and people were touching those, not even being near Paul. And the demons were coming out and people were being healed. And so guess who shows up on the scene? Well, it says, then some itinerant Jewish exorcists. So these guys who travel around place to place. I don't know if you've seen movies about exorcisms and all that stuff. Here's some people that are really practicing it. And they show up on the scene. Why? Because there's evil spirits there, right? And they've been coming out of other people. And so they want to get in on the gig. Why? It was very influential. It was profitable financially. So some of these guys show up. It says they're itinerant Jewish exorcists, so they have their credentials, right? This is part of their names. 
And so it undertook, they invoked the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. I literally, I, I, I command you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And then look what it says here. This is further, just about their credentials. It says that there were seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva who were doing this. Now, what's interesting about this is Josephus, who is an early historian, who chronicles much of what happens in this day and time, um, he doesn't even cite that there's a name of Siva on any list of any Jewish high priest. And so the question is, is this even authentic? What's the possibilities here? Well, one, there's possibility there's a Jewish high priest named Siva that we're not aware of, but that's a challenging because there's nothing listed. So it's possible that these guys are, are faking it, right? This is a fake advertisement. They're saying, we're, we're actually sons, we're connected to this person, and maybe somehow in their lineage they are connected to someone that would be some kind of ruling priest that would have major influence. But you'd say, why does that even matter? Well, if you know much about the Jewish heritage is, is they literally came to a place that God's name was so holy and special they wouldn't even mention it. It was called being ineffable, right? They would not even say God's great name. They wouldn't say it. But there was one person that could. And it was a Jewish high priest when he would go in the presence of God and he would say God's holy name. So for them to be able to say we're connected to this guy who says actually God's name, it would have provided much clout or much power with those people to say, these guys are special. They have connections to God that nobody else has. So if surely anybody could do it, they could do it. So their credentials are there. But not only that, look further with me. Paul also says, listen, these guys are also, be aware of their, their creed or what they're saying, all right? And so let's look at this just for a moment. Let's, let's jump to Second Peter just for a moment, and then we're going to come back. Peter says this. He says, listen, guys, but false prophets also arose among the people. Peter says, listen, back in the day and time of Israel, there were false prophets everywhere. He says, listen, don't be surprised by that. Just as there will be. So see that statement there. Just as there will be, right? So he's telling them, hey, listen, just because there was false prophets in the Old Testament, in that day and time, there's also going to be false teachers, or we would say even false preachers among you. Now this is really interesting because when we walk in a few weeks to Acts chapter 20 in Ephesus, Paul warns them there's going to be false deceivers among you. He says, in fact, they're already there. He says, they're going to rise up out of your church. So there's false prophets, there's false teachers among you. He says, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. They're denying Christ, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many, he says, look what he says, will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Paul says, not only there'll be false prophets, not only there's going to be false preachers, there's going to be false believers. It's a real warning, a real threat. And so we come back here to look at this credentials, right? And, and look, what, look what's interesting about them. Verse 13 of Acts 19. Some of these itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, or whom Paul preaches. Listen, these guys don't even know Jesus personally, but they know the lingo. And that's part of the danger. Is that we can know the lingo, we can say the right verbatim, we, we can have the right saying, we can say all of this, but we don't even know Christ personally. These guys don't even know Him. That's why they're saying, hey, listen, we don't really know who Jesus is, we don't know Him personally, but we know that Paul proclaims Him, and that's who we're, we're saying. We're saying Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Jesus, the guy that Paul knows and he talks about, that's the guy we're talking about too. We don't know Him personally. Look at this. Also, this change was small, and 
I missed it the first few days, and, and I'm hesitant to even say it because I'm not necessarily certain what the intention is behind it, all right? But this is just a, a possibility I want to throw out to you. Look what it says here again. It says, Some of the itinerant Jewish exodus, back to verse 13 of Acts 19, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you. Look what it says, though. Here's a quote of what they were saying. I adjure you by simply the Jesus. And again, I, I'm, I'm not certain of this, but is it possible that they just like his name, but they don't really believe he's Lord? Is it possible maybe that you're there? I mean, you like the idea of going to heaven when you die. and you're, it, That's really cool. I love that part about Jesus and get me out of hell free card, but I don't really want him to be the Lord of my life. I mean, he's just, he's just Jesus. He's, he's not really Lord Jesus to me. He doesn't really have command over my life. I don't really not submission to what His Word says. I, I get the warm fuzzies when we sing or we talk about Him, but I really have no desire for Him to be Lord. I'm fearful that we have prostituted Christ. That we have taken Christ and said, listen, would you just give me what I want? Maybe it's like feel better about myself that I won't go to hell when I die. Or could you right now help us feel better? Could you right now just change the situation? But the moment that situation's over, it's kind of like a prostitute. We're going to kick you back out of the car and I'm just going to go on living my life. You see, I want Jesus, but I don't want him to be Lord Jesus. There's no option on that, friend. He is Lord the Bible calls him the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It says that he is the Alpha and the Omega, literally the, the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the open door to heaven. He is the good shepherd. He is the faithful friend. He is the one that will stick closer than a brother. There is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. So be warned if you just want the Jesus but not the Lord. You can't split Him. He is Lord Jesus. So these frauds that are here, these counterfeits that are there, they're prevalent. And we must be warned of them. But the reminder is, as we've already seen in verse 20, is guess what? Counterfeits and frauds will not stop the kingdom of God from availing. Secondly is this. The Word of God increased and prevailed despite... Demonic activity. Look what it says again back in the text here. Verse 12, we have the statement that there are evil spirits that Paul that are being cast out by the name of Paul. And it says then these itinerant Jewish exorcists come on and they're trying to cast out the evil spirits that are in others. And then finally, now we have this statement, which is terrifying. Verse 15 of Acts 19. But the evil spirit answered them. So now we finally have an evil spirit speaking. Very interesting, right? Sometimes we had this in the place of Christ, and Christ would literally command them to be quiet. And they'd be quiet. We have an evil spirit answering them, and he says, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Now, if I, we're being really honest, most of us probably wouldn't think, hey, let's go plant a church where there's evil spirits that are actually talking. Let's go, let's go find a church or a community where there's all kinds of demonic work. There's black magic. There's people that are practicing sorcery. There's exorcisms. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. Right? I'll never forget it. Um, we were there in the rainforest in between Costa Rica and Panama. And I'll never forget, we walked up to this house. And we walked a long way. And they weren't sure this guy had ever heard the gospel. And we walk up. And there's all of these chickens, like, strung up, like, hanging upside down in bloods kind of places. It was weird. 
And I remember getting out of there just trying to figure out, I was like, what was all of that about? They said, well, they have a religion there. It's called Mama Tata. It's a, kind of a concoction of Catholicism, which is predominant Central South America, but also this um, literally demonic world that's at play, too. And they recognize that. And so what they're trying to do is keep the demons away. And so here's part of one of the things you could do. It's kind of like a spell, so to speak. You, you would string up these chickens and, and hang them up in their blood and different things. And they were trying to keep evil spirits out. That's where Paul is in Ephesus. And some of you think, well, I, I'm glad we don't deal with that today. Easy. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, he says that everyone that is apart from Christ is actually under the influence of the power of the prince of the air. And who's the power of the prince of the air? Satan. Paul says, listen, we all were like them prior to coming to Christ. He says we were too under the influence of Satan. So when we see this today and we see this evil spirit being at work and the demonic world invading Ephesus and all of this craziness and you say, I don't want any part of that. You're already engaged in that. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 6. Quit fighting against your spouse. Are you confused? It's not your spouse that you're dealing with all of this. He says your battles against rulers, authorities, principalities, spiritual force of evil. In the heavenly realms, he says, there is a spiritual war at play in your home and in your lives and on your job site. And you better wake up and realize it. There's a spiritual war. And there's one that's overcome that spiritual war and his name is Christ. And we're going to see that in a moment. He's going to do a great and mighty work. We're going to see that the fact that church is continuing in this context. But let us realize that we are in a spiritual war, brothers and sisters. Don't be blind. Don't be naive to that. And realize that in the midst of that, the name of Christ still goes forth. Christ is not overwhelmed by whatever you're facing. No matter how demonic, how stronghold Satan has, Christ is greater. Right? 1 John 4 and 4. Greater is He that is in us than what? He who is in the world. There is a great work of Jesus Christ. But look what this is. And this, this is interesting. And I'm going to be as direct as I can, but also aware, because I know we have children in the audience, and I don't want to freak anybody out. But this, this, is, this, is, this is kind of that, all right? So we're going to deal with it again for a moment. Father, I also pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, let me speak this clearly to your people. But I pray for the young people here, and um, especially children, God, that you would protect them from any of this, that it would in any way um, create fear or any kind of anxiety in them that is... Um, is not warranted. God, I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So listen to this. All right? This is pretty challenging. Messy stuff. The evil spirit answers. Okay? Um, says, Jesus, I know. The word that's used for the word know there um, is a word that indicates uh, personal knowledge or understanding of someone. Um, in fact, the word is also used of a man and woman, a husband and wife coming together intimately, knowing one another intimately. All right? So this indicates that the evil spirit has a real knowledge of Christ, okay? It's not saying that anyway something messed up. Don't get that of, well, does that mean that? No, it's not saying anything like that. But it's saying that there's a real personal knowledge, understanding of who Jesus is, the spirit's saying. So it says, listen, I, we know about Jesus, right? We understand about him. But then this statement here, all right? This is the one I want to be careful of, of how I deal with it. He says, and Paul, I recognize... Um, the NIV 84 is going to say, and Paul I know about. Um, 
The King James is going to say, just Paul, I know. The Young's literal translation, which follows really close to the Greek, is going to say, and Paul, I'm acquainted with, right? So, acquainted with, recognize, know. Um, the word behind it is the word from which we get epistemology, right? Our theory of understanding of knowledge. How do we discern something's actually true or just believed to be true, right? So, he's saying, listen, Paul, I recognize. The Old Testament context behind this word indicates that a person is recognized by investigation. And that's where it begins to get a little bit interesting. How's the, how's the demon aware of Paul? It indicates that the demon is watching. Demon, demons, that they're aware, they're watching. Again, I'm not trying to, to freak out or go some weird angle on this. I just want you to be aware of what, what literally is being said. Now, again, we're dealing with an evil spirit, so it's possible they're being deceptive even in what they're saying. So we, we, we do always take that into account. But doesn't it at least cause us to pause and say, if God's at work in your life as a follower of Christ and, and in this church, that the demonic world is aware of that? And might it be that the demonic world hating what God's doing in your life is going to come against you or your family or this church to divide us, to, to bring disunity, to discredit what Christ is doing in your life personally, that of your family? I just want you to be aware of it. That's what he says there. Paul, I recognize there's an understanding by study, by watching. And so I want you to see that. I want you to be aware of it. But also, not only that, let's be honest, sometimes the tactic, we mentioned it before, is not simply some overt, just some ground and pound where demonic spirits come in and try to do all kinds of crazy stuff. So often what we see is it's actually the counterfeit or the fraud coming in. And they slowly, right, I've often been warned in leadership, says, listen, when you imagine that as a team, you're all in the same boat. It's just, the question is, is, who's the most dangerous of the team? The person that's in the boat but's actually rowing backwards against the team. No. Because that person at some point is either going to become tired and they're going to turn around and they're going to say, all right, I'm with you guys, or they're going to come exhausted and jump ship. But the most dangerous person is the person in the boat that appears to be paddling the same direction but just a little off course. Because you don't know it's so subtle, but before long, you and your team have veered a long way off course. And so often that is with the demonic world. It sounds similar, it sounds close, it sounds good, it feels good. But it's contrary to the sound doctrine of what the Bible gives us. So maybe you're here today and you say, Blake, I just don't get it, right? You say that God's all-powerful, He's all-knowing, He's all-present, then why didn't He just get rid of counterfeits and frauds? Like, why does He even let demons do any of this? This is perplexing. Why does God even allow it? Well, that's a challenging question, but maybe one thing that would give us, hopefully, a minute of understanding in what we'll see also here in Ephesus. Back in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles chapter 18, there was an evil king by the name of Ahab, right? And he's doing a lot of things. He's going against God and His Word. And then we have this statement, all right? Second Chronicles 18, beginning in verse 18. And Micaiah says, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord. He has a vision, all right? So he's telling it. I saw, I had this vision. I saw the Lord sitting on His throne and all the host of heaven standing on His right hand and on His left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, the king of Israel, that he, what, may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? He's saying, Who will bring him the judgment on him? Right? Who's going to lead him astray? And one says one thing, another says another. And then we have this statement here. And then a spirit came forward. And stands before the Lord and saying, I'll entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit. Where? 
in the mouth of all of his prophets. Some people ask me, why has God's judgment not come? My counter to them often is, God's judgment has come. It's often in the many false preachers and teachers that are here today and the number of people that are following them just not examining what God's Word says, not testing the spirits to see if they are truly of God. Be warned, brothers and sisters. So listen to what happens here. He says, listen, I, I, this lying spirit comes forward, says I'll, I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. And he says, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. The reminder is that God is using even the evil and demonic work to accomplish His purpose. So when you see it here in Ephesus and you wonder, why is God allowing that? Or you wonder, why did God allow that false teacher, that false preacher? Why would God have ever allowed it? God is using that for His glory. And listen, sometimes we can see that, and other times we're not as aware of it. Why do you say that? Well, listen to what Paul tells Timothy. It's a very interesting verse. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 24. He says, The sins of some people are conspicuous. Literally, they're out in the open, right? They're obvious. What's he saying here? He says, well, they go before them to the judgment. So some folks, listen, you're aware of what they're doing. It gets exposed. They get, they get pulled out. The, the fraud they are gets shown. People know it. It gets revealed what's happening in the background or whatever. They get exposed. But then he says this, but the sins of others appear later. Well, the later there, sorry, the later there in the context of judgment would indicate that sometimes we're not aware that somebody's actually a fraud. But God is. Don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. You may think you're fooling the church, you're fooling me, you're fooling your family, you're fooling others. Paul tells Timothy, there is those that are deceiving and sometimes they're getting exposed here in this life. But there are others. He says that actually will not later. I don't know what happened there. And so... We've got to realize that God's timing isn't our timing. So we see this and wonder, why is God allowing this to happen? Or why isn't He doing something? We must realize God's timing is not our timing. Further with me, though, turning back here into Acts chapter 19. Listen to what it says about this evil spirit. The evil spirit answered, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And then picks up in verse 16 and says, The man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them. And it says that he mastered all of them. And overpowered them. So that that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. I don't know if this is where the terminology came. Beat the pants off of somebody when you really throw a beat down. But literally that's what for real literally happens. They literally beat the pants off. They run out of the house naked and wounded. Exposing them to be frauds. Shaming, humiliating them. But I think what's interesting here that we need to pause as a church and ponder for a moment is this. It says, The man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them. And I think we need to be reminded as a church that when we try to serve in our own strength and our own power and do it in our own way, we are very susceptible to the enemy overpowering us or deceiving us or coming against us. That is not where the church, this church, these folks were operating just in the name of Jesus, but not in true fellowship and community with him. Do you see that? So if we just think we can throw the name Jesus out there and do the things that Jesus called us to do, we are deceiving ourselves. It is to be of a genuine, born-again relationship. It is to be in harmony with the Scriptures and the Word of God. So we've got to realize we're in a real spiritual war. And in of ourselves, we're not capable. But Paul says, put on the armor, brothers and sisters. 
Put on that helmet of salvation. Put on that breastplate of righteousness. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the feet fitted with the gospel of peace. Put up that shield of faith that you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And unsheath the sword, which is the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, to serve and to strike. We must be at recognized we are at war to overcome a real enemy. We must do it in the power of God's Spirit and what God has given us. So look at this. It's, it's a lot playing out. And then we have this statement in verse 17 that begins to say, wow, look who great God is. And it says in this, right, this literally what happened here with this demon overpowering them and, and, and literally beating them to their naked and wounded and they run out. It says this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. See that? And he says this, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, it was praised. God used it for his good. So the question is, can counterfeits or fraud stop God's kingdom? No. Can the demonic world, the spiritual world, Satan's tactics against you, your family, against others, can it stop God's kingdom, what God desires to do in you? No. And now we come to number three, and this is maybe the weightiest of all. What about the sin in the life of God's people? I termed it differently because I didn't want someone trying to twist it or hear it on the radio or somehow get confused by it. So I said it this way. The third one is this. The Word of God increased and prevailed through repentance. But look with me if you would. Hear the text. Verse 18. It says also, right? So not only was the outsiders, those outside the church, impacted by what's just happened, right? This, this demon doing this, beating these people, exposing them as frauds. But look what happens here. It says also many of those who were now believers. Wow. So we have the church, and they come forward. And guess what they do? They confess and divulge their practices. What's interesting about this, a lot of things. I want to say several of them here so we don't miss them. First and foremost, this indicates that there is actually sin in the life of believers. Some people say that when you become a believer, you'll never sin again. That's contrary. These folks are actually believers, and they're coming forward because they have sinned to confess. So that reminds you and I that when we sin, it doesn't mean that you lose your salvation. Whew. Praise God, or we'd all be done with here. Every one of us. Do you realize that? If you sin and you lost your salvation, every single person here that claims to be a follower of Christ would indeed not be a follower of Christ because your sin would have somehow tainted you so much that the cross of Jesus Christ would no longer be effective to save you. That is not the case. God's grace is that great. His power is that much. But we must also realize here is this. When, I, when we acknowledge that, that the Word of God increased and prevailed through repentance, we must also say that the Word of God is increasing and prevailing despite the sin in the life of the people. But what, when I say that, I want to say it with maybe an asterisk. The Bible is absolutely clear. Sin will hinder the life of a believer and a church. In fact, Jesus so warns the church there in Revelation that he says to them, if you do not repent from the, and do the things you did at first, he says, I will come to you and I will snuff out your lamp. That's how serious the sin is in the life of the church. In the life of, of individual, you individual believer, my life, your life. But let's look at this. These folks have confessed their sin. They're coming, they're confessing, and guess what? God's not turning His back on them. The Word of God is continuing to increase and prevail. It reminds us, listen, also, that just because as believers we sin, God doesn't intend that we continue. 
The Spirit of God in you will bring conviction. The New Testament writer says, do you not know that God's Spirit within you envies intensely? It says, literally, the Spirit says, this is not the way for you, God's child. Stop that! That doesn't reflect the Scriptures. That doesn't reflect the, that you've been bought and purchased with the precious blood of Christ. I was talking to a brother this week, and he was said, I just finished reading about David and Bathsheba, and it reminded me of a, of a gentleman once who told me, he said, Blake, I said, I sure wish somebody would tell David to get off that roof. He was telling me, he was warning me, there was an area in my life, he says, listen, you, you need to get off some roofs, Blake. You need to get off some roofs. But interesting here, and I want to turn now just for a moment to some translations that maybe help provide some clarity on this. And I think the New American Standard, 1995, does the best job of capturing what the Greek text is saying behind it. So I hope this is helpful for you. I found some other translations up there, but I want you to see why I had chosen this one, because I believe it's the best job of interpreting what the actual text is continuing by the tense of the, of the verbs and different things that are used. So let's look at this for a moment. Verse 18 of Acts 19, the New American Standard. It said, many of also of those, look what it says there, who had believed. That's, that provides real clarity. Right? That's the, the tense is indicating they've already believed. So this is not people coming for the first time saying, hey, I've done a lot of stuff wrong, please forgive me. This is actual believers coming forward. And then this, this is the tense here that I think is also so beautiful that captures what's actually happened. It says they what? Kept what? They kept coming. They kept coming and the, te- the text indicates they kept confessing and they kept disclosing their practices. You see, repentance isn't something you just did the day that you received Jesus Christ. It is ongoing the life of a believer. Thus, John the Baptist could say, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. John says, listen, believers, God says, you follow Christ, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to mess it up. God's not surprised by that. That's why He sent His Son. But He says, bear fruit. Show yourselves to truly be a disciple. By what? Not continuing in that. Repenting, saying, God, my way is wrong. Your way is right. But God, I love this so much. God, please change me. God, please change my heart. Set me free from this. So the believers here, they keep coming. They keep confessing. They keep disclosing their practices. And some of you, when you hear that, it may terrify you today. Because you're fearful that if you ever disclose what you've done or where you've been, it may be 30 years in the past or 40 years, or if your spouse only knew, uh, some of you are carrying some what we would call skeletons in the closet, and you're terrified by this, that if you did this, it wouldn't work out the same for you. I want to show it to you. Also, many of those who are now believers came, it says, confessing and divulging their practices. So this is literally open confession, open mic. And look what it says further, verse 19. And a number of those who had practiced, you see that? Had practiced magic arts, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them. And it found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Estimates of $6 million. We're not sure, but estimates possibly of that. And then it says that statement, verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. These folks are so involved in sin that not only they have the books to prove it, we might say they have the T-shirts to prove it. They've been there, done that. This is a reminder that maybe you back in the day, this would have been you bringing the posters out of your locker or out of your closet that maybe your parents didn't know about or your magazines or your videos. 
This is some of you today bringing your phone and saying, listen, this right here has got me trapped. I am entrapped in a world of pornography or whatever. This would be some folks coming forward today and saying, Blake, listen, this money in my pocket, I, I got this. I got this illegally. I did this shadily. Um, I'm, listen, the stuff that I have, actually, I stole it. I got it through deceptive means. Some of you, it may be some actual literal books, like you, you, you invest in smut. I mean, you, you wouldn't call it that, but I mean... The cover of it, you would be ashamed if we put the cover of many pages up here on the screen to to let everybody see what you've actually been reading at home when nobody else is watching. These folks are coming forward and they are confessing and they are burning the things that have brought them away from God. Church, this is what Jesus called for when He says, if your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. He says, for it's better to enter the kingdom of heaven without that arm than to walk into hell with both of them wide open. There's a clear call to repentance. And listen, though, be careful right here. If you hear this and you think, Blake, then maybe there's no hope for me. No, look what it said. Look again. Don't miss the text. Those who had practiced magic arts. It's as if Jesus is maybe whispering to you. Others, maybe He's shouting. Don't think that what you have done is greater than my grace. Don't be deceived by the darkness to think what you've done is unforgivable. That's what my son came and did. He died for your sin. Even as believers, it's already been paid for. Why are you living in that shame and bondage? Here's a clear example of them coming forward and confessing openly. They they had practiced it, guys. They've been there, done that. they got the t-shirt to prove. I mean, they're involved. They're engaged in this. And yet, the grace of God and His forgiveness, and so that Word of the Lord just keeps on increasing and prevailing mightily. God grows the church even through repentance of His own people. Acknowledgement of our sin, guys. Is that not Beautiful. The church could grow despite the fact that you and I have blown it even as followers of Christ. That grace is that great. That forgiveness is that real. That no matter where you've done, the light indeed shines in the darkness. And the darkness can't overcome it. God's forgiveness ushers you forward. So I'd ask maybe three questions in closing. One, are you a fraud? I mean, you know the Scriptures. You could tell them to me. And Jesus said the same thing there in John chapter 5. He said, you know the Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So I'm not asking if you could check off all the answers today. I'm saying, do you truly know Him? Is there a work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Is there a confession of your heart and your life that you are a child of God? Secondly, I want to ask this. Some of you, are you involved in some type of the demonic world? Ouija boards or different things. I mean, you're, you're enticed. You're involved in some part of the occult. Maybe you wouldn't openly want to say that, but you're involved in some of this darkness, some of this black magic. Maybe you would term it. I don't know how I would call you to come out of that. Run to the light today, to Christ, to His forgiveness, His grace. Finally, to us as believers, let's stop pretending that we don't have sin in the camp. God knows it. He's not surprised by it. And when we repent of it and say, God, listen, here it is. I can't carry this anymore. I can't continue anymore. Some of you need to have a book burning. 
You need to have some things cut off in your life. You need to confess. Maybe it's not indeed to the church, but people in your small group or Sunday school class or people that you love and that you know trust you will pray for you. You need to have some people that you can confess some stuff to. Not so they can pronounce you forgiven. I was talking to a young man recently who was a Catholic. I said, listen, there's no one to go through to get forgiveness. There's no pope or pastor or, or priest or anyone. Paul tells Timothy there's one mediator between God and man. The man. Christ Jesus. So you don't go through me. You don't come through this carpet. You come to Christ. The true Passover lamb who stands and says, I love you this much. My grace covers that. I died for that. Come out. Be free. Don't carry that bondage. Don't carry that sin. So I would ask you, believer, what's in your life that you need to confess to God and get freedom from? The song goes, I heard an old, old story about a Savior who came from glory, who gave His life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about His groaning and His precious blood's atoning. And then I repented of my sin and did what? And won the victory. That song's reminding you and I it's in repentance in the grace that has been lavished on us by Jesus that none of us here are worthy but only His love. That's the victory. It's not you trying harder. It's not you carrying and covering it up. It's a reminder we all here are alike. We all need Jesus. I've messed it up. You've messed it up. Guess what? Let's run to Christ. Let's experience that grace. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for forgiving someone like me, God. Oh, Lord God, You know the number of books that are in my past and indeed things I struggle with now in my present. Oh, Lord God, I'm ashamed of those things in Your presence. But Father, I thank You for Your love. I thank You for Your forgiveness and grace that You would love someone even like me. I pray right now for those that are frauds that You would reveal it to them and You would show it. They need Christ. Lord, let, let Your people not be deceived, God. Show it to them. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. Father, I pray now for those that are involved in some way the demonic world or the work of Satan. Father, I pray now that You would set them free. I pray You would open their eyes to see Christ and realize the, the realness of what they're engaged in. It's not just something goofing off or for fun times. There is a real demonic spiritual world out there. Father, let Your people find freedom from that. Father, I pray lastly for the believers that are here. God, that they would just come to You and confess. If there's something else they need to confess to another brother or sister, I pray they would. But Father, I pray that Your people would come clean. That we might see the Word of God increasing and prevailing mightily. Thank You, God, that nothing can stop You in Your kingdom. Give Your people hope today as they hear Your Word. I ask this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.